أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين for the love of our beloved prophet and his beloved progeny please recite a loud salawat Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum for the hastening in the return of our beloved 12th Imam a third final loud salawat Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum I hope everyone is doing well inshallah and tonight inshallah we'll continue with the fourth session that we are having on the tafsir of Suratul Insan we were discussing this surah, we reached verse number three in particular, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was explaining the type of situation that the human being has been placed in. The situation was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained that the human being that we have created, we have guided him, we have guided him towards the path, we have shown him right and wrong from one another. Either he takes us up on this offer, either he is grateful for the situation that we have created, or he is kafura, or he does kufran towards this blessing that we have given to him. We said that the word shakuran and kafura here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using, or shakiran wa kafura, we said there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using this terminology. And that is because he sees the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided the human being and placed the human being in this situation where he can choose how he wants to live his life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees this as a blessing. And that's why he's using terminology that you would use when you are dealing with a blessing. When you're dealing with a blessing, if you are grateful for that blessing, what do you do? You do shukr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you are not grateful of that blessing, if you don't appreciate that blessing, then they say you did kufran and ni'mah. You were not grateful for that blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided to you. So shukra and kufr, these are two terms that the Quran is using that we know is used when you are dealing with a blessing. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might be saying here is that this fact, the fact that we place the human being in this situation, the fact that the human being has been presented with this type of an opportunity, that he can choose what he wants to do with his life and he can elevate himself to the highest statuses or he can descend to the lowest of statuses. This is a blessing that we gave to him. And if he were to take this blessing, if he were to act properly, then it is as if he is grateful for this blessing. But if he takes the wrong path, it is as if he was ungrateful for this blessing that we have given to him. We talked about this in the previous session. We said if you want to think about it, you can also think about it in the sense of an analogy. That if you're dealing with someone who's very wealthy and they put a very good deal in front of you, they put a very good opportunity in front of you, even though you have to work a little bit in order to benefit from that opportunity, you still have to put in work to benefit from that opportunity, but the fact that they have placed such a wonderful opportunity in front of you, it's kind of like they're giving you a blessing. And if you were to not take them up on this offer, if you were to turn away from this offer, then they would say this person is very ungrateful because he was provided 
with such a wonderful opportunity, but he didn't take up this opportunity. He didn't accept and appreciate this opportunity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that it's not just that we place you in this situation, you can choose good or you can choose bad. This is an opportunity. It's a golden opportunity that if you were to take the right path, then you are shakiran. Then you are showing that you are grateful for this opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in front of you. This is what the Quran says, but how do we understand that this is an opportunity? How do we understand that our lives are a blessing? We talked about this. We said that the deal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is putting in front of us, this is not a normal deal. In a normal deal, if you do one good deed, they'll give you a plus one, and if you do one wrong deed, they'll give you a minus one. That's how a normal deal works. But when you look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calculates the good and the good deeds and your bad deeds, then you find that the deal that he's providing to you is a wonderful deal. This is an opportunity that is golden. You can obey him for 60 or 70 years, and the moment you obey him for however many years you live your life, 70, 80, 90, whatever the case may be, then all of a sudden you'll have a life that is eternal, full of bliss in front of you. So you're sacrificing 60 years for a blissful life for millions and millions of years. That's a wonderful deal. The ROI on that deal is a very high ROI. It's a high return of investment or on investment when you are looking at the, the opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with. You have to sacrifice how much? 20, 30, 40, 70, 80, 90 years. But what do you get in return? What you get in return is you know, much, much more than that. And then in order to make it even easier than that, if it was just that, that would be a wonderful deal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it even easier than that. He has made it such, for example, that when you do perform a good deed, this good deed of yours many times would count as multiple good deeds instead of one good deed. And that's why we went through the verses of the Qur'an, that some verses of the Qur'an say we will multiply them. Some verses of the Qur'an say we will multiply them by 10. Some verses of the Qur'an say we will multiply them by 700. And we said that the difference that you find in this multiplication, in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala multiplies the rewards of one good deed, it all boils down to the purity of that act of worship. And because the purity of our acts of worship are different, the multiplication, the equation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses to multiply your good deeds is then also going to be different. For some people, he will multiply it by 10. For some people, he might multiply it by 100. That's why in our ahadith we have that the best of sadaqat, the best of financial charity, is the charity of the one who doesn't have much to offer. This person, when he gives, it's much more difficult for him to give. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his act of worship is not comparable to the one who has a lot of money and he gives a little bit of it away. This first person, he's going through so much trouble. His deed is going to carry a lot more weight to it. His deed might be multiplied far more than the one who gives from his wealth, but he has a lot of wealth. The hadith says the best of sadaqah is the sadaqah of the one who is muqill, the one who has very little. Whereas when we look at it in terms of numbers in this world, we look at this person and say he gave $1,000 and this person gave $500, but his $500 is worth $10,000 of this person. It's very different. And so the multiplication of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way he multiplies your good deeds, 
This is different from person to person. And then the one who gives a little, maybe his intention is far more pure than the other one. So all of these play a role. These are all factors that play a role in the reward that I will extract from this good deed. But at the very least, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told me that if I do a good deed and I try to stay away from haram, then my good deeds won't count as one good deed. They will count as multiple good deeds. And this is why in a beautiful hadith from the fourth imam, he says this. He says, Wailun. How bad is the situation of the person? How bad is the situation of the person who his tens or his ones take over his tens? And the narrator didn't understand what exactly that means. How does, what are you talking about? His ones take over his tens. What do you mean by that? He said, Have you not heard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Whoever brings a good deed, we will multiply that good deed by ten. And then whenever someone does a bad deed, that this bad deed only counts as one. He says, woe to the one. How bad is the situation of the one whose ones will take over his tens? Meaning that he does so many bad deeds in the day that he has so many bad deeds on this side, even though they're each counting for one bad deed, this one bad deed is multiplied so many times because he commits so many bad deeds. On the other side, you have good deeds, but he can't get his good deeds to add up and be more than the bad deeds, even though the good deeds are being multiplied by 10, whereas the bad deeds are only being multiplied by one. He says, woe to such a person, why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it so easy now. He's made it such that you have to really be a bad person in order to not end up with more good deeds than the bad deeds that someone has. This is on the side of the deeds, the good deeds that you commit. What about the bad deeds that I commit? How has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made this deal for me even more lucrative, so to speak? How has he made it even more of a golden opportunity for me? Not only has he said that when you do your good deeds, I'll multiply them by different numbers which we talked about. Also when you do bad, then I will also come up with a number of avenues, a number of ways, a number of methods through which you can remove this wrong deed of yours. You can give sadaqah and some of these wrong deeds will be removed from you. You can mourn the Ahlul Bayt and some of them will be removed from you. You can, for example, uh, help the poor and this will be removed from you. You can pray, you can do other good deeds and these good deeds will knock out some of these bad deeds. It's very, very easy. It's very, very, uh, a lot of different ways Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making this deal. Very easy for us. You look upon the face of your mother and father and you smile at them. This is considered a good deed and it can remove some of your sins and so on and so forth. There are so many examples of it mentioned in Quran and Hadith. It's quite difficult to put all of them on a list. The one who, for example, brings some water to someone who's thirsty. The one who brings food to someone who is hungry, which we will talk about today. All of these, these have the potential of removing the wrong deeds of the human being. And at the end of the day, even if someone didn't do any of these and he just sat there and repented, and by repentance we mean that he sat there and said, Ya Allah, I'm sorry and I'm not going to do this anymore. That's 
That's as simple as we can make tawbah, you know, be. That's at the very core, that's what it is. If he just does that, then his sins will be forgiven. So now, the good deeds are being multiplied. The bad deeds, there's so many avenues to get rid of them. This is a golden opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in front of us. And still, there will be those who will flunk this test. There will be those who will not be able to live life properly. But then when you come across these people now, then you look upon them, you say, you know what, this person is worthy of this punishment that is ahead of him. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made it so easy for him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not expect anything of this person except that which he could have done and he still didn't do it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it easy for him and still he didn't do it. So this person is worthy of punishment at this point. Okay. What if, and this is a question that we had mentioned in the previous session, but we didn't get to answer. What if someone says, you know what, this golden opportunity that you keep speaking of. You say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put this wonderful deal in front of me. My good deeds multiplied. My bad deeds easily forgiven with different, you know, through different avenues, through different channels. I recite a salawat, some of my sins might be forgiven. This golden opportunity that you speak of, what if I didn't want to take up Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this golden opportunity? Why did He create me? It's a golden opportunity, but you know what? I don't even want to deal with it. And sometimes people will add to this the idea that, hey, yes, this is a golden opportunity, but at the same time, there's a chance I'll fall. There's a chance that I'll mess up. There's a chance that I won't end up in heaven. There's a risk involved with this golden opportunity that you speak of. What if I didn't even want God to create me? What if I didn't even want Him to even place me in this situation? Now, of course, I know I don't have a choice. But what if I didn't want to be in this situation? Can I, on the Day of Judgment, turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, you know what, you thought you were doing me a favor, but I didn't even want to be in this situation. I didn't even want this golden opportunity. Take the golden opportunity. I wish you had not even created me to begin with. What does Islam have to say about a person who this question comes to their mind? And this is a question at times will come to the mind of the human being. Because the Quran speaks about hellfire. The Quran speaks about Jahannam. The Quran speaks about punishments. So this is a question that comes to the mind of the human being. That yes, it's a golden opportunity, but it's accompanied by risk. And so what if I didn't even want to be placed in this situation? The answer to this question, brothers and sisters, or one of the answers you can give to this question, is that the human being who, who says such a thing, that I didn't even want this golden opportunity, in reality, he is not being truthful. Because if that person is a human being, any human being logically will take up this golden opportunity. They will accept this opportunity, any human being. If you look at the investments that we deal with in this world, every single investment that you make, there is a risk involved with it, right? Whenever you invest in stocks, for example, you invest in gold, you invest in, in silver, whatever it is that you choose to invest in. You invest in cryptocurrency, which our scholars have a lot of issues with. Let's just say for the sake of the example, you invest in anything that you want to invest in, yes? There's always a risk involved with it. 
And then you will see that the golden opportunities that we speak of when it comes to, for example, stocks and different things that we invest in in this world, whether it's land you buy, a building you buy, whatever the case is, a business you invest in, the risk that is involved there, in fact, is a lot higher than the risk that is involved when it comes to heaven and hell. Meaning that the, the percentage, the likelihood of you losing that opportunity is much higher when it comes to other investments than it is with heaven and hell, but you gladly and happily take those other investments. You gladly will sit in your car every single day and drive around, even though there is a 2% chance, there is a 1% chance that when you get in the car, that God forbid, God forbid, you might have an accident and you might lose your life. That's a, that's, that's a very real uh, situation, isn't it? But who of us is there who sits there and says, you know what, I'm not going to sit in, in a car. I'm not going to drive in a car because uh, there's a 1% chance, a 2% chance that, you know what, I actually might lose my life in this car. Would you and me not laugh at that person if they came to us and said, you know what, I'm not going to drive a car. Why? Because there's a 2% chance that I'll have a problem. Would you and I not laugh at a person who does not take the opportunity to fly from one city to another city because of the idea that there's a 2% chance, let's say this plane is a very safe plane, but it's still a small percentage, small likelihood that this plane might not make it to its destination. What would you say about that? You would say, no, you're right. It, even though you know that that risk is there, you would still take that up that opportunity. You would stake, still take up that person on their deal. So the person who says, I wish I was never created, he is not being truthful because as a human being, he's jumping at other investments that are associated with risk at the same time. But when it comes to this deal, which is much, much better of a deal and much smaller of a risk, now this person all of a sudden he doesn't want to take Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala up on this deal. He's saying, no, I wish I wasn't being created. No, this person, if you look at his own life, he will you know, accept deals and investments in this life that come with a bigger risk and come with a much smaller return in return of the investment. He will jump on them. The same person, when it comes to heaven and hell, all of a sudden he says, I wish I wasn't created. I didn't even want to be in this situation. No, if you are a human being, you want to be in this situation. Now, you might be lazy. You might be the type of person who says, you know what, I just don't want to deal with it. That's your laziness speaking. At the end of the day, this is a blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed you in this situation. Because if you are a human being... You are naturally wired to see this as a golden opportunity that you sacrifice 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years and then in return you get millions of years in a blissful life that you cannot even imagine. You, you accept other investments with much less return and more risk. How is it that when it comes to this all of a sudden you're saying, I, did, I never wanted this? That's not a truthful statement. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way he has created the human being is such that if the human being was placed in a situation where there was such a great return, and even though there is a risk, that the human being would definitely be taking this type of an investment. And then add to all of this, that in every other investment that you make in this world, the success that you have or the failure is not necessarily in your hands. 
When I, for example, invest in a land, it's not necessarily in my hands whether the value of that land grows or doesn't. That's not in my hands. It has to do with a number of factors. When I invest in a business, it's not in my hands whether that business is necessarily going to grow. There's some things I can do, but I, can, I don't control everything, right? When I invest in this company or that company, I, I don't have control over everything that's happening. But when it comes to the investment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you control all of it. If you want to take advantage of that investment, you can do it. There's nobody stopping you. There's no external factor. There's no external factor that's going to make you sin. No, it's up to you. You decide you want to sin, you sin. You decide you want to grow yourself, you want to grow spiritually, you grow spiritually. There's no external factors here. So this investment is now even more lucrative than what we had described before. Because with other investments, you never know what's going to happen. You think the value of this is going to go up, but that's just a chance you're taking. The risk involved in other investments is a real risk because there's an external factor that you don't have power over. But when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your spiritual growth and your deeds, you have full responsibility. You have full authority over your own deeds. There's no external factors here. Yes, there might be some things that make it more difficult, less difficult, but the more difficult, the greater the reward is going to be. So this is the, the, the blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in front of us. And if we explain our life in this world and the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within this framework, that listen, you've been given an opportunity that other creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have not been given, then our perspective when it comes to the religion will change from it being a blessing or for, from it being a burden into it being a blessing. The fact that I was created. And then you will find our children will start to leave this mentality that, oh, you know, why is it that we have to go through so much trouble? Why is it that we have to pray? Why is it that we have to fast? Oh, this is a golden opportunity. Others were not blessed in this manner. This is something you're supposed to take advantage of, not sit there and complain about if you understand it within this framework that we are speaking of today. Inshallah, I will move on to verse number four. And that verse is this, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that we created the human being from some fluid and this human being, all of a sudden, it turns into a, a full-grown human being. And then we showed him the path, imma shakiran wa imma kafura. Either he takes us up on this deal, either he appreciates this blessing or not. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to explain the two sides, the destiny or the fate of these two groups. What happens if he is shakiran? What happens if he's kafura? If he's kafura, verse number four says this: Inna a'tadna lil kafirin salasila wa aglalan wa sa'ira. We have prepared. We have prepared for the kuffar salasila. Salasil means chains. Wa aglalan and iron collars. Wa sa'ira and a blaze. These are already prepared for them. Why is the Qur'an saying these are already prepared for them? Because the Qur'an is making it clear. Uh, this is definitely going to happen. We have it already prepared for them. And this is completely compatible with what Islam says about the nature, the essence of heaven and hell. And we talked about this slightly before. That heaven and hell are nothing but the reality of our actions. Therefore, if my actions exist, if I have committed my actions, then my heaven and hell are already waiting for me, if you think about it. If I have done good, then my house in heaven is already being prepared for me. 
If I am doing wrong, then my place and my punishment in the hellfire is already being prepared for me. It's not that you die and then heaven and hell is created. Your heaven and hell is already here. You do not feel it right now because you live in a limited world where you do not, your, your full senses do not work. Only five of your senses work. Yes, there are other senses that you have that do not work in this world because it's a limited world. It's a world of matter. And so only your material senses are at work here. Your other senses are not at work here. Otherwise, the heaven and hell, they already exist. They're already out there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, we have prepared for them already their punishments. And likewise, vice versa, we have already prepared for them their houses in heaven. It's just waiting for them to leave this world of matter, move to a world where these are unveiled for them. The realities of them are showed to them. Otherwise, they already exist. It's not that I leave this world and then heaven and hell come into existence. It's that when I'm living in this world already, I am creating my heaven and hell right now. So the Quran says, "Inna We have prepared for them. What does that mean? That means it's already there. It's just waiting for them to leave this world, come to a world where they now feel the punishments of the Jahannam or they feel the rewards of heaven. Only one verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this. Then it's going to move on to what happens to the other group. The abrar as the next verse says. The, the good doers, those who do good. And of course abrar is a specific group from those who do good. It's not just any person. It seems as though abrar, they are at a higher level than your average good person or your average person who makes it into heaven. Take a look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now says. With regards to the abrar, what does he say with regards to these people who now they are special when they make it into heaven? Those who do good like the abrar, they will be drinking from glasses and in that glass will be a drink that has a wonderful smell. Kafur in Arabic is used in both ways. Sometimes it's used in the sense of the object, which we know as camphor today. Sometimes it's used as an attribute. Sometimes it's used as an adjective, meaning that something that smells good. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that this drink is a drink that smells wonderful. Okay. And then it moves on from that. Yufuna bin nadr. What was the characteristics of these individuals? Yufuna bin nadr. These are the individuals who when they make a nadr, when they make a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they act upon that promise. Uh, forgive me, I jumped a verse. Verse number six is this. They, this drink that they are drinking, they take it from a spring that the special servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala drink from. And the special servants of God, they themselves make this spring come into existence. Tafjir means when you break something. Meaning you break the earth and a spring comes out. The Quran is saying they now in heaven have this power to create the spring themselves. That world is very different from this world. In this world, you benefit from the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates for you. In the next world, you are given the power to create blessings for yourself. 
One more time. In this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates blessings for you that you can benefit from. When it comes to the next world, the soul of the human being that has been developed fully, that has come close to perfection, this soul now has the power to create blessings itself. It can create things. That's why the verse says, يُفَجِّرُونَهَا tafjira." They are the ones who create this spring. They are the ones who bring about this spring. They are the ones who crack the, the ground in heaven and the, and the spring water starts to gush out of it. This is terminology that we are not familiar with. This is a world that we're not familiar with. You know, this is a, a different world Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about. To take our perspective away from this limited, terrible world, terrible in the sense of how low it is, to a different life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for us, where you yourself can create the blessings that you find around you. It's a completely different experience. And the Qur'an, of course, our understanding is limited, so the Qur'an here and there will give us some clues. The Qur'an can't tell us more than what it has already because human beings, us living in this world, our comprehension is very limited of the next world. That's why the Qur'an every now and then will just make some points here and there. But if the Qur'an were to fully explain to us what the next world is like, we won't really understand it. We won't really comprehend it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues. Then he says this, These are the same people who, when they make a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they make a nadr, then they act upon it. And while they act upon this promise, this nadr, at the same time, they are fearful of that day that is going to be difficult. Okay. We know, at least within the Shia school of thought, this is very widely known. And these ahadith are also narrated within the Sunni school of thought as well. That these verses of the Qur'an, the sha'n and nuzul of them, is that famous incident where the Ahlul Bayt and the family of Ali ibn Abi Talib and Fatima and Hassan and Hussein that they fasted for three days and each day miskinan wa yatiman wa asira they came and they took the iftar of this family and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining this but here's the question of course this story we are very well aware of and we've heard of multiple times that the first night a miskin came to their door the first night a poor person came to their door and he said I have nothing to eat and they gave from their iftar, and they only broke their iftar with water. And then the second night a yatim came, an orphan came, and they did the same. And the third night an asir came, and there's a point to talk about about that in just a second. So we are very well aware of this story. But here's the thing. Pay attention to what the verses of the Qur'an are saying, because the Qur'an is saying, yufuna bin nadr, they act upon their promise, at the same time, يَخَافُونَ يَوْمًا كَانَ شَرُّهُ مُسْتَطِيرًا At the same time, this Ahlul Bayt, they are fearful of the Day of Judgment. This should spark a question in our mind. When the Ahlul Bayt do things, do they do things out of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or do they do things because they're fearful of the punishment of the Day of Judgment? Which one is it? What we have heard in the majalis and in the ahadith is that they do things purely out of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not because they are fearful of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
But the verses of the Quran here, they're saying those who act upon the promises and they fear the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hold on to that question. We're going to come back to it in just a second. So they are those who hold on to their promises while they are fearful. And they give food out of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Miskinan wa yatiman wa asira. And then they say, We only do this because of the love that we have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't want any thanks from you. We don't want any rewards from you. We don't want anything in return. We also don't need you to thank us. We do this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then verse number 10 says this, We are fearful of the difficult day of judgment. Abus, meaning someone who does not have, you know, they say abus, meaning someone who is frowning. This is where the name Abbas comes from, according to some opinions, that Abbas, he was the one who the enemies were fearful of him. When he came across the enemies, he was frowning. Yes, he was considered a solid, you know, a solid protection for the Ahlul Bayt because he was a Abus. This is where they say the name Abbas comes from. Yawman Abusan Qamtarira, the difficult day. They're referring to the day of judgment. One time before giving the food to the miskinan wa yatiman wa asira, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they are fearful of the day of judgment. One time afterwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they are fearful of the day of judgment. And of course, we are taught that the Ahlul Bayt do things out of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How are these two compatible with one another? We're going to get to that in just a second. The first thing that we have to mention here is the fact that number one, the Ahlul Bayt, this high status that they are given, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising them for giving food. And one of the things that you find in this verse is that they gave food, number one, to miskin, number one, to yatim. Number one and number two makes sense. Number one and number two is miskin and yatim. Okay, it's a poor person. You would expect the Ahlul Bayt to give. Yatim person, you would expect the Ahlul Bayt to give, of course. The third person is Asir. Who is Asir? Asir is a captive. Asir is the one who was fighting Islam not too long ago. Asir is the one who came to kill the Muslims. And now he is within the captivity of the Muslims. We know at that time, during the time of the Prophet, the concept of a prison system, it wasn't there. This was developed later on in Islamic history. Initially during the time of the Prophet, the concept of a prison system, it didn't exist. When captives used to be brought back, they were, they were essentially uh, mixed. They would mix with the Muslim society in a specific way that we'll have to discuss some other time. The Quran is saying this family is special not just because they give to miskin, not just because they give to yatim, they also give to asir. Asir is different now. Asir is not the one who used to be in love with you. Asir is the one who came to kill you. He's a captive. But now because he is under your authority, you find the Ahlul Bayt, they are giving from their own food to an Asir. This is a separate test. This is, a, this, this is why the Ahlul Bayt are who they are. Because when they give from themselves, it is so selfless. They, they, don't, don't, they don't just give to those who you would expect people to give to. They also give to those who no one else gives to. 
They also give to those that normal people will sit there and say, this person, no, I won't give to this person. But if he goes and he knocks on the door of the Ahlul Bayt, the Ahlul Bayt will give to this person. Miskinan wa yatiman makes sense. Wa asira. This is captive. And this you find from the seerah of the Prophet. The Prophet used to tell the Muslimin that when these captives come into your society, you are to do good upon them. And the narrations say that some of the Muslims, they used to give some of their own food to these captives. They used to give some of the, the food that they needed themselves, they used to give to these captives. Miskinan wa yatiman wa asira. This is one reason why this is such a high status for the Ahlul Bayt. Number two, the second reason why this is such a high status for the Ahlul Bayt is because they are giving food and they are feeding those who are hungry. And I want to take a moment here to emphasize this point. If you find the Quran is speaking so highly of the Ahlul Bayt, part of it goes back to the fact that these individuals who are coming to the door of the Ahlul Bayt, they are not necessarily friends of them. They are not necessarily companions of them. They are not necessarily individuals who see them as Imams and Ahlul Bayt and divine individuals. They are, they are normal people that are coming to the door. Miskinan wa yatiman. And it seems as though they are not relatives of the Ahlul Bayt either. They're strangers. And the Qur'an is making it clear that part of the reason why they are so special from our perspective is because they are giving even if the people who are coming to them are not their friends, they are not their relatives necessarily. They are strangers, they don't even know this person. And still the Ahlul Bayt are giving to them. And still the Ahlul Bayt see their hunger and they try to feed their hunger. This is something that we find is missing within our culture nowadays. That many times you find gatherings are put together in the name of the Ahlul Bayt. But those who are being fed are not necessarily those who are hungry. It's a majlis in the name of the Ahlul Bayt. But the people who are being fed are the same people who if they were not fed, they would have no problem whatsoever. And then the people who need to be fed, they are not being fed through these majalis. They are not being fed in the name of the Ahlul Bayt. This, this was not the seerah of the Ahlul Bayt, that they would disregard that group and they would only give to their friends and their relatives and those who they know. No. The Ahlul Bayt used to give to those who, did they, who they didn't know. If they saw that they were hungry, this person is worthy of my help. And in fact, when you look at the hadith, this has been emphasized even more than giving to my friends and my relatives. In the sense that when I give to somebody, the fact that he is hungry and he is a believer now makes the reward even greater. The hadith of the Prophet says, whoever feeds, meaning what? Meaning that this person is hungry. Whoever feeds three people in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have him eat from three different gardens in heaven. Giving to those who are hungry is something that is missing in our culture. Sometimes you see gatherings are put together and lavish, lavish foods and lavish gatherings. And then those who were supposed to be fed, those who are hungry and need to be fed, they're not fed through these gatherings. This should be a little bit of a concern for us, brothers and sisters. I will say this, feeding your relatives, feeding other mu'mineen, feeding believers, 
even if they have the wealth to feed themselves. This is definitely beyond the shadow of a doubt also recommended in Islam. There's no doubt about it. Believers getting together even, even, if they, if, even if they don't feed one another, this is even recommended in Islam. But then imagine if this is recommended, imagine how much more it's recommended for me to call someone whom I might know or I might not know, but I feed him while he's hungry. The Ahlul Bayt are who they are because they don't just give to their friends and their relatives. They give to those who are hungry. They give to those who if they don't come to this gathering, they won't have anything to eat tonight. This is, this is something you find missing in our culture. Sometimes these gatherings that you have, it seems as though it's just a family or a social gathering that you could have had any other time. Now you're just having it with the name of the Ahlul Bayt. Are you feeding any of those who are hungry, who need that food? No. In fact, the food that you're having on that night might be 10 times better than the food you might want to give to someone who is hungry. This is something that's missing within our culture. There is emphasis on both, but there is definitely more emphasis on the one who has nothing to eat. And this is what you find in this verse of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, this family of the Ahlul Bayt, they give to those miskinan wa yatiman wa asira who didn't have anything to eat. That's why they were going door to door. That's why it has such a high status. Part of the reason. So why has such a high status? Because these are people who if the Ahlul Bayt had turned them away, they would have nowhere else to go. Who's going to give a miskin food? Who's going to give a yatim food? Who's going to give a asir food? This is something we have to pay attention to. I have a gathering. Alhamdulillah, my son is graduating. You know, my, my children are getting married. Wonderful. You want to gather the believers. Wonderful. Allocate a budget from what you have allocated for your gathering. Take a portion of it and just leave it for those who are poor in the sense that they don't have food to eat. Don't spend the whole budget that you have only on those who you know who are normally individuals who would have food at the end of the day. They won't sleep hungry. This is something you don't find, unfortunately. It is losing its emphasis within our cultures. It is losing its emphasis within our communities as a, as a general concept. And this is something we have to pay attention, pay attention to. Let my food be a little bit simpler and then allocate a budget. I, inc I include my friends, I include my relatives, but then I allocate a budget for those who don't have anything to eat. Then this is truly going to be the seerah of the Ahlul Bayt. وَيُطْعِمُونَ الطَّعَامَ عَلَىٰ حُبِّهِ مِسْكِينًا وَيَتِيمًا وَأَسِيرًا We only feed you out of the love we have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In order to please Him, لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءً وَلَا شُكُورًا We don't need a reward from you. We don't need any thanks for you. And then the next verse says, إِنَّا نَخَافُ مِنْ رَبِّنَا يَوْمًا عَبُوسًا قَمْطَرِيرًا We are fearful of the day of judgment. So the question that comes to mind now is do the Ahlul Bayt do things out of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or do they do things out of their fear of the day of judgment? Two times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning they are fearful of the day of judgment and one time it says we give to you because we want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which one is it? Inshallah this is a question that we will try to answer 
in our following session. And from this, we'll talk about how important it is to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and some of the issues that have been raised even by prominent atheists today. That yes, these Muslims and Christians and Jews and anyone who believes in organized religion, if they do good deeds, if they do good deeds, it's not really because they want to do the good deed. It's because they do the good deed because they're fearful of hell. They do the good deed because they know that they're going to get something in return of it. Therefore, their good deeds are also selfish. Their good deeds are also self-centered. Whereas this atheist sits there, right, and Dawkins is one of them, Richard Dawkins. He says, you know what, I do good deeds because they're good. Not because I know someone is going to reward me. Not because I know if I don't do it, I'm going to be punished. So we have to understand, why do we do these different good deeds? And did the Ahlul Bayt do them out of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or did they do them out of fear of the day of judgment? And if someone were to do their deeds out of the fear of the day of judgment, is this a form of being self-centered? Is this a form of being selfish? This is one of the major objections that's raised as it relates to those who attribute themselves to organized religion, really any religion that it is, that speaks about the day of judgment, speaks about punishment and reward, would have to discuss this question. This, inshallah, we will leave for our next session. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is MizanInstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast. Or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.